Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and we're going to locate Galatians chapter 5. We're going to dig right into week number 2 in our series, Living Proof. So in all of our locations, let's do exactly that. I want to welcome in our campuses, also our live streaming venue. Glad everyone's tuned in and under the weight of the Word this morning, Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're rooting this seven-week series on the fruit of the Spirit, it's designed to give us a closer look at that fruit. In fact, we asked you last week, what could FFC look like if the Holy Spirit of God produced His fruit in all of us in an increasing way in 2024? That's what prompted me to look into this more about a year and a half or so ago and then feel God's Spirit tugging at me to bring this to our attention. And so we are looking at, at this fruit of the Spirit that He wants to produce or grow in us. It's thrilling to think about what that could look like, isn't it? Now, we understood last week that the fruit of the Spirit is first about the Spirit, second about the fruit. So I want to encourage you, if this is your first time here this uh, uh, today, or you're a guest, or first-time attender, or maybe you just missed last week for various reasons, go back and hear or watch last week's message to get a sense of the context in which this specific text is rooted. But knowing that it is first about the Spirit does not eliminate the fact that it is still fruit. Something is grown in our life. In fact, it's called the evidence that we truly belong to the kingdom of God and that we're keeping in step with the Spirit. These are traits that are seen and felt. And so we don't want to minimize the fruit. And so I wanted you to follow along with me now as I read our target text. It's in Galatians chapter 5. It's just two verses, 22 and 23. These are the verses that list the fruit. And then Pastor Scott's going to join me and help us understand the first one on this list. And that is our order for the next six weeks is I'll kind of give a general intro. And then I'll have one of our elders join me who will unpack the specific fruit. I'd encourage you, two things, have your Bibles handy because in this text we have a listing, but there's nothing said about each fruit other than its name. And so they'll take us to other passages and scriptures, I'm sure, to help us understand more about that specific fruit. And of course, then after Scott is finished unpacking that fruit, we'll come together and we'll take some Q&As. Here's the number you want to have in front of you four questions that may come up in your mind while he's preaching. We always say here, have your phone on, text in questions. This number is always live, even in the week. If you want to text in a question, I'll hand it off to Travis every week. He'll do a great job with it. Um, but we just love a good uh, feedback environment. It's just a constant around here. And so today we'll take some live questions as well. But I want us to read the two specific verses, the text that's within the context that shows what the Spirit does in us, at least one of the things He does in us. And of course, it begins in verse 22 when it talks about His fruit being grown in us. I remind you as we begin to read, this is not the first time you'll see the first one on this list in this passage. If you look back at verse 13, look with me, 513, just for a moment. This will be a good runway for Scott. Verse 13 reminds us that we're called to be free, and we're not to use our freedom, though, as an opportunity for the flesh, but serving one another through, what's the next word, church? 
love. So Paul is not introducing a completely new concept, even in this context. But he does list it as the first in the fruit. So here are our target verses. Pastor Scott, go ahead and join me, would you, on the, te- on the platform? Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Pastor Scott? Thanks, Pastor Todd. Well, for those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Scott Helms. Uh, My wife is Felicia. She uh, goes by the nickname Fish at times. It's a elementary school nickname that that she got and uh my elementary school nickname was homie and i do not go by that um do not call me homie um we have a 13 year old son named jotham we've got uh, a little white furball dog named zion and and that's our family we've been coming here to first family for a little over 15 years or so and um I do marketing and and branding kind of as my day job. This is obviously not my day job. So Um, as Pastor Todd said, the first fruit that we're going through today is love. And as I was preparing for today over the last month or so, just praying about what the spirit might have for me, because I mean, love, it's, it's a, that's a big word. And thankfully, the Spirit simplified it down for me and, and directed me to start in Matthew 22. So we're going to start there. If you want to flip there in your Bible, I'm going to make you do some quite a bit of flipping today. They'll also be on the screen as well if you want to look there. So the Pharisees were asking Jesus a question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus' response is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he reiterates, this is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what's God telling us? Really straightforward. One, love me. Love me first. And two, love your neighbor. You could fill in love others for that word neighbor there. But these are the first two commandments. Love God and love others, period. If we look at the word love and in that commandment, we have to, we have to unpack that and, and really Think it through and, and not, not overlook it because it can easily get overlooked, the word love. As I was thinking about today, I'm, I'm a marketing creative guy, so weird, goofy thoughts come into my head at times. And I got to thinking like thinking about the fruits of the Spirit. Love is kind of like the banana of the fruits of the Spirit. So stick with me here for a second. If you think about a banana, right? It's pretty ordinary. It's an, it's an overlooked fruit. If I had a fruit salad, 
The banana is not going to be like the most exciting jump in your face thing in there. If I offered you a banana, said, hey, would you like a banana? You'd probably be like, yeah, sure, thanks. If I offered you like pomegranates or mangoes or papayas or something, they all have really exciting names too. You'd probably be more like, yeah, thank you. That'd be, that'd be great. It would get your attention. And I can very easily overlook God's love. I mean, I can overlook my wife's love. We've been married for 20 years. It's really easy to overlook her love for me, even though she's with me every single day telling me she loves me. I can still take that for granted. I can, I can quickly overlook it. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I can really overlook God's love really quickly and, and easily. So let's not overlook it. Love is at the heart of these first two commandments. Love God and love others. Period. That's it. It's that simple. So let's take a look. What is love then? When we look at the Bible, love's in the Bible over 300 times. So we're going to go through all those today. I hope you don't have afternoon or evening plans. We're going to be here for a while going through all of this. Let's start with a definition of, of love. Simply the world's definition of love is an intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest or pleasure in something. If we look at the Bible's definition of love, and the New Testament's listed um, in four different ways. There are four different words for love. Philia, which is like friendship love. That's the type of love um, that you would have for, for a good friend. It's where we get the word Philadelphia. Eros is, is more of a sensual type of love, sexual desire. Um, in the Bible, it's whenever the word Eros shows up, it's always in relation to marriage. And it's also where we get the word erotic. Storge is familial love. That's a, the love that's, it kind of happens naturally with family. It's in Romans 12, and it's, it's speaking of the love for your brothers or sisters in Christ. And then agape love. This is the love that Paul's referring to in Galatians. This is a divine type of love that can only come from God. It's a love that's found perfectly in Jesus. When we think about agape love, when we, when we hear that word, we only, have, we only have the word love in our language. And I don't know about you, but I don't love M&Ms the same way I love Jesus. I don't love golf the same way I love God. And really, I shouldn't even love my wife the same way I love God. When I was engaged to Felicia, we were in that, you know, new, new love kind of, you know, you're, you're blind and crazy in love with each other and you just can't spend enough time with each other. I'm not saying that I don't like spending time with my wife. I love spending time with my wife, but there's just that new, brand new, um, love at first sight kind of young love. And we tell each other things like, you know, she would say something maybe like, Honey, I, I, I love you more than anything in this world except God. And I was young and stupid, and that bothered me. 
I wanted to be first. I wanted to, I wanted to be loved more than anything in her heart. And quite frankly, in my own sinfulness, I loved her more than I loved God when I was young. But as I got older, as I got a little bit wiser and a lot grayer, um, I realized that there's, there's no way that my wife is going to love me better if she loves me first. It's just going to, it's going to, all that's going to come out is some cobbled together kind of fleshly, best she can put together love for me. She's going to love me way better if she loves God first and loves God the most. Because if she's filled with love for the Lord, what I'm going to get is the overflow of that, which is far greater and better than any love that, that she could put together on her own strength. If we love people in the overflow of our love for Christ, we are going to be able to love them far better than we ever could on our own strength. So as I mentioned, the word love is in the Bible over 300 times. We're just going to focus on six of them today, four from the New Testament, two from the Old. And I just want them to just wash over you. Some of them I'm certain you've, you've read before, maybe all of them, but just look at them with fresh eyes today. Let it just, let it just wash over you. And I'm going to sound really cliche, but I want you to feel the love. I want you to feel the love of God through his word. So we'll start with John 3.16. Again, probably super familiar to you all, but let's just, let's just read it together and even with new eyes. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus his only son on your behalf so that you can have eternal life with him forever. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This verse is telling us that in loving God, I can trust and be certain that no matter what he brings, it's for my good and his glory. Good days, hard days, tears of joy, tears of sadness. I can know and rest assured that's working for my good because he's working together all things for my good. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who endures trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In my staying faithful through trials, in my turning back to him, in my staying focused on him, through those trials, the word tells us we will be blessed and we will receive the crown of life. 1 John 4.8 The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is a stark contrast to the others. It shows us that if we don't love, we don't know God. Because he is love. It shows us that if, if I'm not loving my neighbor, well, then I must not be loving God. Because it's, it's, it needs to be an overflow of his love. And the last two we're going to look at are from the Old Testament, like I mentioned. The word's a little different. Agape isn't in the Old Testament. There's a comparable word that, that is essentially equivalent to agape in the Old Testament. And that word is ahava. And that's the Hebrew word for, for this same kind of agape type of love. So Joshua 22.5, only carefully obey the command and instruction that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave to you to love the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways, keep his commands, be loyal to him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. We are called to serve God with all that we have, everything. He deserves it. He deserves all that I have. We can go back to John 3.16. He paid the price that I could never pay. So my duty is to serve him with all that I have and all that I am, with all of my heart and all my soul. And then lastly, we'll jump to Isaiah. Isaiah 43.4. Because you are precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. God loves you so much. You are precious and honored in his sight. People sometimes ask, how do I know God loves me? It's right there. That's right. Simple as that. God's love is the foundation for our, all of our love that's going to pour out onto others and how we're going to be able to love others. And the love in the list in Galatians that Paul lays out for us, it's the first one. And I don't think that's by accident, personally. It's, it's the foundation. It's the lifeblood by which we can live out all the other fruits of the Spirit. Amen. How can I have peace or joy, or patience, or kindness without love. I don't think you can. I don't think it's possible. So I just want to take a minute here and just pause. And if you're here today, and you're hearing this, and you didn't know how much God loves you, you didn't know what Jesus has done for you at the cross, I just want to encourage you implore you, beg you to give your life to Jesus today, to tell God you love him back because he loves you. Yes, he does. So I just want to pray together. If that's you, just, just pray simply that the Spirit's filling your heart with a love for God. Something like, God, I love you. And I love Jesus. And I want to make you the love of my life, the Lord of my life. And I believe that Jesus 
came for me, died, was buried, and rose from the dead because he loves me. And if you pray that right now, all heaven is rejoicing. And I just ask one thing, if you've done that today, just, just one thing, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody you came with. Share it with Pastor Todd or myself or anybody else here. Just, just share it with somebody. Because we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you in your next steps and your love for, for Jesus. For those of you here that already have professed your love for Christ, um, I've got a little something for you as well. We always do a take-home truth. I've added another little thing in there, a, a little take-home to do for, for all the rest of us. And that's straight from the Word of God. It's, it's not complicated. It's, it's super simple. It's simply love God and love others. That's it. But you might say, oh man, Scott, you don't know me. You don't know how hard that is for me. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know where God's left me or put me. You don't know how impossible it is to love this person and what they've done to me. You're right, I don't know. I don't know your situation. But I do know the how that you're facing. I do know those. How's like, how do I love others? You love God more. How do I not fear tomorrow? You love God more. You love God most. How do I share my faith more often? Love God more. How do I endure trials or trauma or what I'm going through right now? You love God more. How do I break my ongoing sin that you have no clue about or that addiction? You love God more than it. You put God in the right place in your heart. That's how you're going to be a better dad, a better employer, a better employee, a better wife, a better brother, a better sister, a better friend. You love God more and you put God in the position in your heart that he belongs. Well, how in the world do I love God more? Great question. You spend time with him. You gaze upon his face. You talk to him. You cry with him. You thank him. You recount his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. You start every day with him. If you're like me, I can tell really quickly if I'm spending enough time with him. And so can my family. And it can't be, for me anyway, a check off the box amount of time. It has to be dedicated time, not, not distractions. If I think about my relationship with Christ as a marriage, you know, there might have been that, for me anyway, there was that love at first sight sort of thing when I got saved. I mean, it was, it completely changed my life. It blew the doors off of my life. 
But just like a marriage can't sustain on just love at first sight, neither can your marriage to Christ. And this is a marriage. We are called the bride of Christ. And I can't sustain 20 years of marriage with my wife on love at first sight. It's, it, it, it doesn't cut it. And it won't sustain my faith walk with Jesus either. So I got to spend time with him. I got to be able to hear his voice when he speaks to me. And that takes relationship. The other thing it can do is spend time with other people that love him. This works in all areas of our life. We, whether it's brands, you know, I told you I was a marketing guy. People all have affinities to brands or things or hobbies or whatever those are. For me, that's Green Bay Packer football, that's golf, that's Tropical Smoothie Cafe, that's Wigan Pen Pizza, especially the Flying Tomato, it's amazing. If I'm around people that I'm talking about those things too, if we're sitting around talking about golf and you love golf and I love golf, by the end of the time we're done talking, we're probably gonna love golf even more than we did before. So it works the same way. Surround yourself with people that love God and that are pouring into you and sharing a verse with you and you know your your passions are stacking up on top of each other and you're and you're developing an even deeper love for God together with with your brothers and sisters. So today I just want to make sure that you know how completely God loves you. That's what this, that's what studying all this did to me. It, I mean, it overwhelmed me to tears at times. And you will be a completely different person if you love God more, if you put him in the right position in your heart. Like I told you about that story, I, did, I had it backwards. I loved my fiance at the time more than I loved God. And I had it backwards. God needs first place in my heart. Only. That's where he belongs. And if he's there, I'll love other people more. Just like it said in Matthew 22. Love God and love others. So our take-home truth for today that I'll send you off with is simply gazing upon... God's love for us will fuel our love for him and our love for others. That's right. As our eyes are opened and we're spending more time with him, we're more intentional with, with our prayers, we're more intentional with our study, and we focus more and more on how much God loves us, our reflex, our hearts overflow is going to be that we're going to love him back more and we're going to be more loving of others, more completely, more, more fully. So with that, Pastor Todd's going to come back up and join me and help defend me, to protect me from some of these probably hard questions that you all are going to send in. <laughs> so if you haven't sent in your question, the number's up there again. I know we have a few already 
that have come in, we'll tackle those. He'll take the hard ones and he'll lob me the easy ones. We'll do it together, but thanks, Scott. Unpacking God's word for us as one of our pastors. Um, yeah, let's um, see if we can tackle a couple of questions first. We'll just go ahead. Number one, here it is. Can you explain the marriage concept you mentioned about God and his bride and how it translates to marriage between husband and wife? I noticed there's a pronoun that says you. So I think they're talking to you here, buddy. <laughs> Can you explain? So I'm going to start with you. Is that okay? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, the Bible tells us that we are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. We are, we are the bride of Christ. And that picture of earthly marriage is, is, is really a reflection and a picture of, of our marriage to Christ. Husband, we, are, we are called as husbands to love our wives as, as Christ loves the church. So there's, there's that connection and relationship there baked, baked into Scripture. And you specifically mentioned the husband model is Christ, sacrificial love. I might add this. Uh, I think there are two words that can summarize husband and wife's responsibilities, we'll call it that. The husband is to uh, sacrifice as Christ sacrificed, and the wife is to submit as Christ submitted. We find that in Jesus, he's the model, the example for both the husband and the wife. And so I think that's maybe, like you said, just a kind of a duo answer to the idea of how it translates to the wife. I would say submit to your husband the way Jesus submitted to the Father's plan. And to the husbands, I'd say love your wife sacrificially the way Jesus loved the church. And if both husband and wife will make Jesus the one they're looking at, man, that you'll both be climbing towards the Lord and towards each other for sure. Uh, second question. In this cancel culture trend, how do you, there's that pronoun again, buddy. Uh, how do you love family well that doesn't want anything to do with you? So there's a lot to that question. I'm sure there's a situation, a story, but take a first stab and I'll follow up. Well, Jesus doesn't say just love people that love you back. When he went to the cross, we were his enemies. He didn't go to the cross for his best friends. He went to the cross for us as his enemies. And so if Jesus can love me in that way, and I love him back, I'm called to love my enemies. I'm called to pray for my enemies. That that's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's not an easy command, but it is what, what he calls us to do. So in a very specific way, you might say one way to love them well is to pray for them, even though they perhaps don't love you. And another way would be to serve them. The Bible does tell a story about how if, uh, you know, to turn the other cheek, those kinds of stories... The phrase is used that you would heap coals of fire on their head. And sometimes we take that as a chance to say, nah, 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 nah. That's not the spirit of the text, okay? But the tone of the text is that pray for and serve those who despitefully use you and would say all manner of evil against you. So I think you make a great point. I'd say this also, um, though it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, I think I have found that fewer words is better in times like this. 
your heart will want to defend and accuse and say all kinds of things to make sure you're not the one, you know, in the crosshairs or the noose. And I think in moments like that, in these exact moments when you're not getting treated, let's say, well, or you may even use the word fa uh, fairly by a certain family, I would resist the temptation to use lots of words to make yourself look good and just accept that God will defend you at the right time. I don't claim that's easy, but I think it's worth it. So pray for, serve, and use fewer words might be somewhat of an answer to that question. Anything you want to add to that? Well, Stephen, I've always, I always read that uh, years ago, the heaping burning coals on their head, too, about like, ha, that's, that sounds horrible. I'm giving you this. But it's actually so that they might repent. Mm. Like, we should be long-suffering in that way. That's good. Uh, question three. Is there any other verse in the Bible... And we'll just make this our last one. Uh, there may be other questions. Feel free to text them in uh, and we'll take whatever is left and put them on the podcast. I want to make sure we honor our time. And um, so we'll make this our last one. Is there any other verse in the Bible that connects the Holy Spirit and loving each other? Um, there's no you in there, so I'll take a shot at this first. Okay. Uh, I think of two. Romans 5.5 5 is a unique one. And catch this. Romans 5.5 5 says that um, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. So do you like that word pour? I do. Like he's not holding back. He's not dripping or sprinkling you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God's pouring out God's love in your heart. I, I love that. So the implication, maybe I should say just to clear explicit statement is that we would not really understand God's love if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. And so based on what Scott was saying, how would we love others well if we don't even understand God's love for us? So that is attributed to, connected to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. He's, who, he's the one who pours out the love of God. There's a lot of theology to that. I won't get into it here. They mentioned the second verse that I thought of. Uh, and I probably find this even more intriguing. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, I believe, where Paul said, this is a striking statement. He said, you do not need me to write to you about loving each other because you are taught by God to love one another. Amen. Now, I'm staunchly, firmly Trinitarian, and if you're a member of this church, so are you. God is one in three persons. The Holy Spirit is God. So that verse says to me, the Holy Spirit of God is teaching me how to love others. So I'm not trying to, you know, uh, throw shade on all those who have seminars on how to love people. But in the church, we should have as our first teacher the Holy Spirit of God when it comes to loving each other. That's what the Bible actually says, right? So, yes, the Holy Spirit is a key teacher. And watch this, a key pourer of God's love in us and teaching us how to love others as well. And I like the way they're connected, just like you did in your message. So anything you want to add to that, Scott? No. No. All right. Amen. Amen. Just an amen for you. Well, hey, thank you for unpacking God's word for us. I appreciate that so much as we looked at this first fruit, which is love.
We'll say more on the podcast Tuesday. Um, can we end with lingering in prayer over perhaps what this question pointed to and even the connection Scott made for us? And that's this. Um, Holy Spirit, pour and teach. Remember last week we ended with a prayer that really kind of combined many of the items listed in the fruit section. We, we were praying all week, in fact. Holy Spirit, uh, fill me, use me, gift me, change me, empower me, a number of things like that. I think I want to just narrow that this week. I want to focus this prayer in this way. Based on this truth that Scott unpacked for us, that our love for others is inextricably tied to God's love for us. And that the more He fills us, the more we'll love others. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. He sheds, He pours God's love in our heart. He teaches us how to love each other. So let's just pray this. Holy Spirit, would you pour and would you teach? That's simple enough, isn't it? So will you bow your heads with me? And all across this room, I'm going to ask you to pray just above a whisper. I want you to pray where you can hear yourself. And I want you to start with those words that I gave you. Holy Spirit, would you pour and would you teach? My sense is the Holy Spirit will also prompt you with other things to pray. As he does, just continue meditating and praying. Let's linger as a church and let's linger as Christians right now for a bit. Band's going to join me. The ushers are waiting in the back just till we, a few minutes to us to do this. Can we as Christians and as gathered Christians pray in the Spirit? Ephesians 6, 18. So both in this location, upstairs, in our live streaming venue, let's take a posture of prayer. Perhaps you want to kneel down by the chair in your robe. Feel free. Maybe pull your kids close to you. Maybe take the hand of your spouse. Or maybe gather in your friend group. In our 830 service, our deaf community, all gathered here up front, just stood in, in a circle. It was beautiful to watch. Can we linger in the presence of God empowered by his Holy Spirit and pray this Holy Spirit pour and teach pour God's love in me and teach me to love others